Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. We're returning for a third time to this text under the title of a Christian battle plan. This will be our third and final message under that title. But before we get to the text, I want to make a couple of observations for you, a couple of observations that will set up, really, the teaching this morning from this text. So here they are, two observations. Number one, first observation. Before you or anyone goes into battle, you review and you rehearse that battle plan until it becomes muscle memory. Before you go into battle, you review and rehearse the battle plan until it becomes muscle memory. That is true in sports, and certainly football stands out for me as the number of times you would run the play again, again, and again, until it became muscle memory. It is true in the military and law enforcement. The battle plan is reviewed over and over again, Basic infantry skills are taught repetitively until they are muscle memory. Those of you in law enforcement, you know how to stack before you go into a room. You don't have to get to the door and throw fingers to figure out who's going through first. You know how it's going to happen. You know what each and every person is going to do once you breach that door. It is true in disaster preparedness. We have fire drills. And the reason we have fire drills is so that in the event of a real fire, everyone knows what am I to do, where am I to go. It becomes the muscle memory. It is true in self-defense contexts. Those of you who have trained in the the martial arts or any kind of self-defense, you know all about muscle memory. And it is absolutely true in the Christian life. It is true in the Christian life. The time to decide what you will do and how you will do it is not the heat of the moment. It is not the heat of the moment. That's my first observation. My second observation, again, setting up this morning's teaching from this section, is that a large part of our lives are lived by habit and routine. In other words, we do not sit down and take the time to make rational, conscious, individual decisions, weighing all the factors, and then coming to that rational, conscious choice of uh, what we're going to do in the multitude of decisions that face you and I every single day. We train ourselves, whether we know it or not, to make most choices without much, if any, thought going into the process. Let me illustrate it for you. When you come to a red light, you stop. When you come to a red light, you stop. When someone waves to you, you wave back. When you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. These are good and helpful habits that that guide and direct our lives, and they are, for the most part, 
just reflexively done. We don't sit down and weigh it all out. We do what is right. And that, re- that reality applies into the moral realm. It applies to the moral realm. Before Christ, we were morally darkness. And these dark and destructive choices were made often without thinking. Often without thinking because they were the expression of our fallen nature. We just sinned because we were sinners. It's who we were. It's what we did. In the new creation in Christ, where behold of all things have become new, we are to be about the process of retraining ourselves. Retraining ourselves for a habit of righteousness and holiness. So that again, when we face the multitudes of decisions in life, we don't have to sit down in the moment and try to weigh it all out as to what we should do, but we will reflexively do the right thing. Do the right thing. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 6 and in particular verse 19. So if you want to kind of check on all of that, you can do it on your own time, please. Let me say this to you. Righteousness is to become second nature to the follower of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is to become second nature. So this morning, as we look at this text together, we need to keep this in mind. We do not break bad habits. We replace them with good. We do not break bad habits. We replace them with good habits. Okay? That's what Paul has for us. Here in this section, beginning in verse 17, let me read it for you. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. From this section here, we have said there is a six-part battle plan, a six-part battle plan for waging a successful war against sin. And we have looked over the last two weeks at the first four of those parts, and we will take up parts five and six and complete it this morning. Just as review, the first part of the six-part battle plan is there in verse, the first part of verse 17. It is to reaffirm your commitment to Christ. It begins there. It is to reaffirm your commitment to Christ and your willingness and desire an obligation to follow him. Secondly, in verses, the second half of verse 17 through verse 19 is to recognize the destructiveness of sin. We need to be willing to look at sin right in, the, in, in its eye, as it were, and to see how wicked, how black, how deadly, and how destructive 
It really is. We need to be willing to acknowledge sin for what it really is so that we will not dabble in it or with it. So recognize the destructiveness of sin. Third, remember who you have been taught, verses 20 and 21. The emphasis there upon a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not simply a a theological system that we are taught, although it is theology that describes the living God, but it is fundamentally a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that, that we are in a relationship with the very Son of God. Where we go, he goes. What we do, we take him with us. And we need to remember that reality and recognize it. So remember who, who you have been taught. Fourth, from last time, and we finished there last time, was to relinquish your old habits. To relinquish your old habits. To, to put off, in the, in the words of the old King James, to put off the old man. To put off the old man. And we talked about the flesh and, and its enduring temptations and predispositions towards sin, and we need to put that off. It's an old garment, an old cloak. It belongs to the old man, and you are a new creation in Christ. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ, and that which once was needs to be put off. And it is a process that happens at the new birth and continually has to happen, moment by moment, day by day, until the Lord Jesus Christ comes And takes you and I home. And that leads us to our fifth. Our fifth part of the battle plan this morning. And this is where the material gets new. It's to renew your thinking. Verse 23. Renew your thinking. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Paul says. Right? Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted. And you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Beloved, we will not put off the old self and relinquish our old habits unless and until our thinking is renewed. Our thinking has to be altered. We need to see the world in a different way. And that's why it all begins with that recommitment to Christ and his lordship over every aspect of our lives. We need to recognize the destructiveness of sin there in verses 17 and 19 and then go in a different direction. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Paul uses the same kind of terminology over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. We're there after 11 chapters of the heaviest theology you'll find in in one place in the entire Bible, I think, uh, where he outlines salvation. He begins there in Romans 12 and he says, Therefore, in light of all of this, who you are in Jesus Christ, he says that you need to be renewed. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, right? Don't be squeezed into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, put off the old man. Don't be conformed to what is no longer true of you, but be transformed to what is now true through the renewing of the mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the same basic idea. We need to change the way we think. Way too much stinky thinking going on in the lives of all of us. All of us who are children of God. Now this renewal 
This renewal of the inner life here is a continual process. Notice at verse 23, you be renewed. This is a present passive infinitive. And, and what does that mean? It just means that there's an ongoing process here. There's an ongoing process. This is not just a one-time renewal. That is a, a regular continual renewal going on. It is, a, it is a process and it's a fight that we have to have all the time. And it's a renewal that is brought about and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. It is the divine work of the Spirit who is at work in us, first um, regenerating us and, and transforming us from death to life, and then working in us regularly, constantly to transform us, to alter the way we see the world, the way we think about life. You can see it in a couple of places here. I'm just going to point you to them real quick just to be reminded of this. But Titus chapter 3, verse 5 is one that comes to mind. Titus 3, 5, where Paul writes there that uh, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Right? He saved us not on the basis of our righteous lives. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, there it is, and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. We have the washing of regeneration and the renewing of, by the Spirit. You can take a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul writes there, verse 18, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, or from one stage of glory to another, just as from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This transformation into into the into the glory of Christ is a process, one degree of glory to another, and it is brought about by the Lord, who is the Spirit. The means that he uses, he is the one who does it, he is the one who empowers it, but he uses means. God frequently uses means, and the means that he uses is his word and prayer. It is his word and prayer. These are the means by which we are renewed in our minds. There is no other way. There is no other way. It is the means by which we come to have what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. He writes in verse 14 of chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, he says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It is that process of of gaining the mind of Christ, of thinking God's thoughts after him, of seeing the world as he sees it, of loving what he loves and hating what he hates and being about the business that he would have us be about. This is all the product of a renewed mind, an altered way of thinking. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, speaks about the use of the word in this process, the means. He says there in chapter 3, in verse 16 of Colossians, Paul writing, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. He's speaking here, by the way, corporately of a local body. With all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why do you sing? Why do we sing? Why should we sing? It is so that we might admonish one another, that we might teach one another with all wisdom. We sing for the pleasure of God, yes, but we sing for the purity of the church, perhaps even more so. If you do not sing... You are withholding from your brother and your sister a means of grace that God has established. Let that settle in, all of you who don't sing because you think you got a bad voice. One writer in commenting on this in Ephesians chapter 4, John Stott, in his nice little commentary there, I commend that one to you, he says, and I quote, If heathen degradation, that's a good old word, if heathen degradation is due to the futility of their minds, then Christian righteousness depends on the constant renewing of our minds. Do you see it? For the unbeliever, for the pagan, for those who are separated from the life of God, their thinking is futility, their thinking is darkness. But for the Christian... It is light and life, and it is a process that requires a constant renewal. As we put off the old man, put on the new. Beloved, we can confidently say this morning, sitting here, that you are either moving closer to Jesus Christ or you are drifting further away. There is no treading water. There is no holding your position. You are moving closer to Christ this morning or you are moving further away. The Christian life can be likened to a canoe journey upstream. You have the paddle in the water and you must continue to stroke. Should you pull the paddle from the water and rest it upon your knees and decide to take in the scenery, you will lose ground. You will drift. And what that means is you must then reconquer the ground that you have given up. So you must keep the paddle in the water. You must keep paddling. You must keep constantly be about the process of the renewal of the mind. You cannot drift. You cannot take it easy. You cannot be complacent in these things. And it is the word in prayer. There's the word in prayer. One must not be complacent with the word and prayer. The renewal of the mind is a continual process, a continual process process. Let me give you some specific applications of this incredible truth. We need to examine, first application, first practical thing, we need to examine our media intake. Examine your media intake as to time and content. Examine your media intake as to time and content. We live in a media-saturated world. 
Virtually every person in this congregation is carrying in their purse or their pocket a powerful device called a smartphone. And it connects you to the World Wide Web and all of its distractions. You are constantly in touch. For many of you are getting your Facebook notifications, your email updates, your whatever. It is. I didn't, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. It is a constant process. And if we are not careful, it will suck up our lives. It'll suck up our lives. It screams at us. And the word of God in prayer is quiet and not demanding. But Facebook is oh so demanding. The number of hours that are wasted every single week in these kinds of processes is mind-boggling. Take some time if you think I'm wrong. Take some time. Take a week and start keeping a log of how much time you spend connected to the Internet in one form or another. That's just a waste of time that needs to be addressed for virtually all of us. The other thing is just the the content. Where do we go? What do we take in? Are we taking in ungodly, worldly influences through that open pipeline? Who are our advisors? Is it our Facebook friends and their posts? What are we hearing and who are we hearing it from? We have to do this. We have to examine. A life unexamined is not worth living. We must examine these things and we must be ruthless about it. We must be ruthless about it. So examine your media intake and to time and content. Second, evaluate your relationships. Evaluate your relationships. Are they spiritually encouraging or are they spiritually discouraging? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 13, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't fool yourself. Who you spend your time with, who you hang out with, has a tremendous and profound influence upon you and your thinking about the world. Again, to the issue of counselors, who's feeding you advice? If you seek the advice of a fool, you will be foolish. So, evaluate your relationships. Evaluate them. Third, expand your consumption of Scripture and prayer. Expand your consumption of Scripture and prayer. Examine your media intake. Evaluate your relationships. Expand your consumption. Expand your consumption of Scripture and prayer. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Psalm 119 and verse 11. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Beloved, we do not sense our true need for scripture and prayer until and unless we begin to seriously fight against sin. 
Until we begin to seriously engage with sin, until we seriously begin to seek to live and think and speak righteously, we don't sense in a full way our need for the Scriptures. I want you to think with me. You think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want you to think about his humanity. I want you to think about his humanity. When confronted with Satan in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, he responded to him and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan came back at him again and he responded again with another passage of Scripture. Jesus was saturated with the word of God and it enabled him to do battle with an enemy that you will never face. You will never face Satan yourself. I might. Just a joke. You will never face him. He's just not that important. Sorry. But you will face his minions. And the temptations that they will bring. And the passions and the desires of the flesh. And it is the scripture that will allow you to battle them successfully. How did Jesus Christ... Live a life, a a human life, a life like yours and mine. Made like us in every way except without sin. How did he do battle? What enabled him to fight to the end? See, for us, we roll over. The temptation comes and we resist a little bit and, and then we tend to roll over. And so we never feel its full strength. He felt the full strength all the way to the end. And his resources were no different than yours. That's the message that's being communicated. His resources were no different than yours. It was the word of God and it was prayer. Why do you think he spent so many hours praying? His life evidently saturated in the scriptures. Because the answer is here for you in Hebrews chapter 4. In verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace In time of need, we draw close to the throne of grace through the word and prayer. It is examine our media intake. It is evaluate our relationships. It is expand our consumption of scripture and prayer. And finally, it is to engage in heart talk. To engage in heart talk. These are the practical applications here. What do I mean by heart talk? 
What I mean by that is that if we are to be successful in the renewing of our mind, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. Your heart is always talking to you, and it is usually lying. And so what we have to do is stop listening to it and start speaking truth and counseling our own hearts. This idea is very, very much prevalent within the scriptures. I'm going to just take you on a really quick jet tour here, look at a few scriptures with you, okay? So go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, this whole idea of a heart talk. Very, very important. Yes, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17. I'm going to give you some negative examples of heart talk. This is the lying side of it. I'll pick it up in verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 8, pick it up in verse 16, but verse 17 is the key one. In the wilderness he fed you. He fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Here it is. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. That's a lying heart that says, I am a self-made man. I I have what I have because I have worked hard for it. Because I've gone to the right schools. I've made good decisions. Okay? Working hard, going to the good schools, making right decisions, they are important, but they are not ultimately the end. If you prosper in this life, you prosper because God has prospered you. First Kings is another illustration. First Kings 12 of a lying heart. First Kings 12 and verse 26. This follows the split of the kingdom. Jeroboam, placed there by God in control of the northern kingdoms, and it could have been good. Yet he lies in verse 26. And he said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. And he established fraudulent places of the worship of Yahweh. The sin of Jeroboam, which continued to plague the northern tribes for centuries, began with a lie in his heart. God had set him up. If he'd have followed the Lord, things would have been fine. Psalm 10. Psalm 10 and verse 4. Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Verse 13. 
Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. In other words, God's not going to do anything about it. It's a lying heart. And it's a path to destruction. But there are positive examples of hard talk. And that's what we need to walk away with from this. So, for example, Psalm 15. Just a couple to the right here. Psalm 15. A positive example of heart talk. Verse 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Verse 2. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He speaks truth in his heart. Or Psalm 27 and verse 8. Twenty-seven and verse eight. When you said, "Seek my face," my heart said to you, "Your face, O Lord, I shall seek." And one more, Psalm forty-two and verse five. I love this verse, Psalm forty-two and verse five. This is a perfect illustration of a heart talk. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O heart, why are you anxious? Why are you inclined after these things? Why do you find your time in the scripture to be dull and boring and unfulfilling? Seek God. Seek God. In our family, we have an expression that we have used for decades. In fact, it has been used so long in our family that it has been picked up by our grandchildren. And the expression is this, rule your emotions, rule your emotions. In other words, speak truth to your own heart and do not allow your affections, your fears, your anxieties, whatever it is to drive you. The emotions are not the locomotive, they are the caboose on the train. The locomotive is the mind and the heart in tune with the word of God. That pulls the train, that drives the train, and the emotions, they will follow along just as surely as the caboose will follow the engine. Rule your emotions. Five parts to the battle plan so far. Reaffirm your commitment to Christ. Recognize the destructiveness of sin. Remember what you have been taught. Relinquish your old habits. Renew your thinking. And sixth and finally, replace your life patterns. Replace your life patterns. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. Put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
having been made new, having been made new, and that's not a renovation kind of newness, that's an entirely new character, an entirely new species, having been made new, we are to repattern our life according to what God is like. We are to live and to pattern our lives after the likeness of God. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God. In other words, we're to replace our life patterns. We're to replace our habits and our thoughts and our behaviors and ground them in the truth of Christ and our union with him. That is the the replacement theology. It is to, to put off that old man, put on that new. Our life now to be a life of virtue. That's what Paul's referring to here when he refers to righteousness and holiness. Together they, they sum it up. Uh, they sum up the idea of a life of virtue. A life of virtue of which God is the source and we now in Christ are the image and the likeness. And certainly the, God's words in Genesis 1 should be running in the background, right? They were made in the image and likeness of God. We have been recreated in the image and likeness of Christ. Beginning in verse 25, there are specific examples of this entire process. Paul gives specific examples of the battle plan in action beginning in verse 25. And so next week when we get to verse 25, we're going to start to unpack them. And I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be a little pedantic in all of this, okay? And the reason I think I'm going to be a little pedantic on this is because I think it's super important that we get this down, all right? So what I want to do now, we've got a little time left. What I want to do with the remainder of our time here this morning is I want to, I want to walk you through a chart. I want to char- walk you through a chart that is, that is taken from a book, which I would recommend to you. It's a book by Jim Berg, and it's called Changed Into His Image, Okay? It's a very, very, very fine book, and, it, and it's, it's about this battle plan. And so I'm going to kind of walk you through that whole thing. It's a model for, and here's a couple of words to put into your new vocabulary, dehabituation and rehabituation. Okay? Big words, right? What does that mean? That means breaking old habits and establishing new, all right? De, you know what to deconstruct means and to reconstruct. So it's dehabituation. It's the, it's the destroying and destruction of the old habits that belong to the old man. And it's the, it's the establishment or reestablishment of new patterns in their place. Remember, you don't break old habits. You replace them with new. Okay? So let's just talk about this a little bit. Uh, the chart, I'll get to the chart here in a minute. But it's, it, it begins by the, the breaking and the establishing of new habits. That's the put off, put on with the renewing of the mind in the middle. We'll look at that in the chart in a minute. But there's two other things that I think are important to say that go along with this. Anyone who has seriously attempted this will know it's hard. This is hard. And it's, and it's easy to quit. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to become defeated. Sin doesn't yield easily. And the longer a sin has been entrenched in your life, the, the harder it is to root it out, the deeper the taproot. So it's easy to grow discouraged and just say, I can't, I can't do it. And to fall back and to take your paddle out of the water and the canoe starts to drift again. So we have to have an enduring obedience. That's the point. 
There has to be an enduring obedience. We have to stay in the saddle when the riding gets tough. And that's hard for you and I because we have been acclimated to a life of comfort and ease. Right? We think something's wrong if we don't get our food in three minutes. We're just not really good about waiting and enduring. But the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36, You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. It's the human condition that has trouble with endurance. But we must. We need to pray. We need to ask God for help in enduring in the process of putting off, renewing, putting on. Okay, so enduring obedience. And then third is, I'm calling it structuring our environment. It's all part of the process of structuring our environment. What I mean by that is, is eliminating, as, as we're able, sources of temptation. Eliminating, as we're able, the sources of temptation. Romans 13, verse 14, Paul says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Make no provision. Okay, here's an illustration. If you're having a problem with alcohol, you don't go to a bar. You don't go to a bar. Gentlemen, if you're having trouble with your eyes and your thoughts in terms of a pure sexuality and your work route drives you by a bullet or a billboard with a scantily clad woman with suggestive titles on it, change your route. If you have to drive 20 minutes longer to get to work, drive 20 minutes longer or quit your job and find something else. But remove the temptation. Remove the temptation. If that iPhone or Google phone or whatever it is that you've got is a, is a source of temptation for you that has mastery over you, then put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the freezer. And let it sit there a month. And then you'll be better prepared to handle it. There's no messing around with this stuff. We can't negotiate. We can't negotiate. All right, let's take a look at this chart. We'll finish it here. It's a simple chart. There are three boxes with three steps. They begin in the top left. The arrow pushes you to the bottom box that runs the length of the chart, and then the arrow on the right pushes you up to the right-hand box. Okay, so that's the direction that it moves. It begins like this. Put off the old man. Put off the old man. Specifically, what thought, action, or habit do you need to eliminate from your life if you are to become like Christ? You need to identify it and you need to be specific about it and repent of it. I've used this process many times in my own life and with other people. This is God's means of change. Not this chart, but the chart representing the the process. You've got to be specific, okay? You get a group of Christians together, everybody admits they're a sinner. Barely anybody will admit to personal specific sin. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. In what way? Oh, don't get so personal. Right? We've got to be personal. 
We got, we got to be specific. We got to be ruthless. This is part of the renewing process of the mind. We need to call sin what it really is. So if there's something right now, right, that, that, is, that is hindering you and your likeness to Christ, identify it. Write it down. It's a way you're thinking about something. It's, a, it's an action that's become part of your life. It's a, it's a habit. Write it down. And then repent. Call it sin. Step two, be renewed. Be renewed in your mind. Write out. Write out the verses that show God's viewpoint on this issue that you have identified. In step one. And then meditate on those verses. That they might, the spirit might through them renew your mind. What does it mean to meditate? It means to to read them over and over again. It means to commit them to memory. It means to put them on an index card and and have them with you in your shirt pocket to take them out and review them until they become a a part of of the fabric of your thinking. It means to dialogue and interact with the scripture, to personalize it, to to make the pronoun personal. So the verse is talking about you in these things. Until it just becomes, it saturates your mind and your heart and becomes part of, of who you are. And then third, is to put on the new man. To identify what new way of thinking or acting must you now practice with the help of the Holy Spirit if you are to be like Christ. Remember we started, we said it, it's, we don't break old habits, we replace them with new What new way of thinking, what new action needs to take the place of this one? Nature abhors a vacuum. You can't just break it. It must be replaced. So this chart just is a way to help you think through that process. You should counsel your own heart and mind. Just verse 25. I'll close it here. Just take a look at verse 25. We're going to come back to it, by the way. I think verse 25 is going to be a sermon on its own. So I'm not too worried about using it up in a minute or two here. Paul says, therefore, laying aside falsehood. What's that? That's the putting off, right? Speak truth to each one of you. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. That's the putting on. The renewing of the mind, for we are members of one another. You see it? The new way of thinking, we are members of one another. Therefore, we put off the old man which is lying and we put on the new man which is speaking truth. That's the process. And Paul gives us a bunch of illustrations here. And as I say, I'm going to be a little pedantic here. We're going to work through those illustrations so that this thing gets really driven deep in each and every one of our hearts because this is the way biblical change happens. And you remember when I started this, I said, who is this sermon series for? And I said it's for those of you that are working with other people and helping them to overcome sin. And it's for those of you that are struggling with sin in your own life, some sort of, of sin that is dominating you. And it is for, it is for those who, who, who are giving counsel or making disciples. It's for everybody. Counsel our own heart. So we need to become proficient at this. We need to become good doctors of the soul. We need to learn to rule our emotions. Okay? So may the Spirit of God help us make it really, really practical. Let's pray.
Our Father, I, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is so intensely practical. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to become skillful in our use of it. Let each of us become a doctor of the soul who knows how to evaluate and, and prescribe biblical medicine. First to ourselves. Doctor, heal yourself. Let us do it first for ourselves. And then let us love one another by, by bringing the truth to bear, even in our singing. Our Father, we're here because we love you. We want to glorify you with our lives, and Christ has rescued us and made us new, and, and we want to live new. And many of us, our Father, have, have struggled with something for a very long time. It has really limited us. It's that sin that sort of catches us and like a leg trap. It won't let us go. But there is release available, Father, through your word. If we'll follow the process that you've laid out for us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that, that they'd get a firm grip on this. You'd help me to have a firm grip on it, Father. Not forget it in the midst of my own struggles. To implement it. And to watch and to see what amazing things you will do. Oh Lord, we know that sin will be a struggle until the day we die. We look forward to the return of Christ or our, or our passing to him. And we could be finally freed. But in the meantime, Father, you have, you have made a way for us to, to live as a new person in Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to put it to practice. I pray in Jesus' sake. Amen.